Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. Welcome in, everyone. Episode 26 of Orange and Back Check. A guy that probably, if I was looking at his mug, would have a head of hair similar to mine that needs a haircut ASAP. But we're going to wait it out for quarantine. Scott Weinhard, how's it going, brother? You know, we were outside today. Today's bulk trash day. So I was getting a whole bunch of stuff like in my shed cleaned out, like that I don't need anymore and organized. And I sat down in the on the patio for two minutes and my wife was outside and she looked at me. She goes, oh, my God. And I was like, what? And she took a picture of my head. Dude, I have so much gray hair. Like the oh, reason really? why I keep <laughs> it short is because you can't see the gray hair. It all blends yep. in. But when it's long, oh, man, it's it's exposed. It's exposed. Uh, Trust me. I I got a salt and pepper thing going on, but uh she kind of digs it. I kind of dig it. So, you know, it is what it is. I also have, a, like, it's not like bulks and clumps of gray hair, but like when I'm brushing my teeth or just doing stuff in the bathroom and, and shaving, whatever it may be, uh, I see little like strands of it, just individual <laughs> hairs. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going to be bald. I'm going to be gray as a doorknob mm-hmm. by 50. Are like, they, I just know it. Door, doorknobs are gray. They might be. I don't know. I, 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 for some reason, I was conflating dead as a doorknob or dead as a doornail. Yeah, I messed that one up. <laughs> it's fine. But it's okay. We've been quarantined so long. That, I, I'm, you know, we, ha- or, or, you know, we're we're not noticing these little things that you, you know, right. dead as a doorknob. You know what I mean? So there you go. <laughs> that's what you're looking for. But like, I hope in I, fifty you're not dead as a doorknob. That would really suck. It would really suck, and yeah. but like I've accepted that I'm. Pr- I there's like a chance that I was going gray when I found out through my dad that my oh. grandfather went gray by like 37. So really, it it seems to alternate every generation because uh, my dad didn't really start going gray until recently. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's what I'm dealing with. But it, enough well, about. <laughs> oh, go ahead. They they say they say it comes from your mother. Um, you know. So the thing is. Um, you know, my my father, my mother's father was was just a gray haired guy with thick hair, and then you know that. So I'm not too concerned about it. I highly doubt that I'll be going bald. You know, yeah. I don't mind going gray, balding. We might have to draw a line. Might have to buy a toupee at that point, or go see <laughs> one of them doctors where, like, you know, you know. But uh, I, I'm baldness. I'm not a big fan of. I don't have really have the head shape for it. It's too big. But um, you know, I, I think gray. I, I think I could rock that. You know what I mean? I so. think, I, yeah, I think I could deal with gray, bald, like, because I can't, like I've talked about, I can't grow in a full thick beard. It would just be, 
Yeah. Uh, be patches yeah. like Sidney Crosby. Be patches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so because once you go bald, because once you go bald, you have to be able to do the bald and beard yeah. to, to uh, compensate it, and I can't do that. So I, I'd be screwed. Gotcha. See, so. here's the thing. Like, I'm I'm that type of guy where I'm that guy sometimes. So like I'm gonna be the dude with the faux hawk at like 45 with the salt and pepper hair, <laughs> wearing bomber shades, thinking I'm a total badass, knowing that I'm not, but still because that's what I've been doing for the past 10, 15 years anyway. So we'll just continue the trend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh not a ton this week into the hockey world. Obviously, like oh, Ivan Provorov. Uh, uh, Ivan Provorov spoke to the media a little bit, talking about what he's been doing in in the in the off season. He's been training six hours a day, according to his, according to him. That's impressive to see, nonetheless. And it just shows to show goes to show if the if the team comes back, uh, if the NHL comes back, the Flyers might be one of the most fit teams to to return right off the bat. Hopefully. Hopefully, you would think. I mean, my question is going to be, I know they're going to have talking about doing a three-week thing of, you know, yeah. early June coming back in three weeks and then restarting like sometime in July. My thing is, is not so much the players being in shape. That doesn't yep. concern me. It's about that that favorite F word I always talk about. What is it? Flow. Exactly. I don't have a concern about premier athletes trying to keep in shape. This is what they do for a living. So a guy like Pro- Ivan Provorov, working out for six hours a day is great. If you look the other day on Twitter, Terry Bridgewater did like a 75 mile bike ride in five hours. So like, yeah, these guys know how to stay in shape. I would have a bigger concern about the team coming back and gelling once again, because everybody's going to be at a different level of being in shape. Some guys are working out for a couple hours a day, like Sean Couturier. Yep. He, that he might need that to maintain other guys might be in better shape than what they left because they have time to recover and get their bodies to refresh and all that stuff. But again, it's the team cohesion. If you have a line that was doing really well and flowing together, one guy's in better shape than another guy on that line. I'd be a little bit concerned about that because everybody's going to be at different points all over again. Yeah. And, and th- there, there was another thing you had Provorov this weekend or this week uh, that spoke. And then on Friday, that was an indication for the entire NHL from Bill Daly, the commission, the uh, excuse me, the deputy commissioner. He sent out a report or a memo to all the 32, 31 teams in reference to what we talked about last week in bringing the draft back. Right. And I look at it as I'm excited to see these players, um, the players keeping up and keeping their physical strength up, as you alluded to. It's not it's not difficult for them. The only people that it's really truly difficult for is the players that are stuck in apartment complexes. Cause yeah. I, th- that's not as easy for them, obviously no, right. to stay in shape. But um, what the league is doing uh, as a whole outside of the players is getting prepared for the draft. Now you can do two things at once. I'm not saying they can't be preparing for the draft and also getting an, an, a, a, a plan in place for the restart of the NHL season. But the way I read this article that's on Sportsnet by Elliot Friedman, I just – something is uh, – my red flag has already been up, but I'm throwing up two red flags here. I, I think there's an indication out of this that 
they're hedging for not head, not even hedging. They're preparing for the off season and planning more for the off season right now than the regular season, despite what we're reading on both ends. What do you take out of it? Well, here's my take. Again, you're you're the ultimate pessimist when it comes to this. No, offense. when it comes to this, yeah, yeah and I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't, but I don't blame you. I get it. I mean, you know what? The, all things considered, it's, it looks like it's unlikely, but the yeah. fact that they're working through all these ideas, you're starting to see some restrictions come come. Uh, you know, get lessened. Like for instance, New Jersey uh, yesterday just allowed people to start going back to parks, golf courses, as long as they. Yeah. Practice social distancing, all that stuff. And I'm playing so, golf tomorrow on Monday. So oh, it's like, it's one of those things. Hey, there you go. That's great. That's great. So I went to go hit the driving range. I hit a golf ball in yep. over a year. I'm dying to do that, but I, I have not had an opportunity to do that yet. But like, you're starting to see these things open up. So with that, the NHL has to be okay. Well, here we are. It's May 2nd. Is today May 2nd? May third. May third. Tomorrow's okay. May fourth. May the fourth be with you. Oh God, you just you had to do that, didn't you? you had I did. To do, you Listen, had to we're getting the, the season finale of Clone Wars, the TV show. As I said last week, get check that out if you're a huge Star Wars fan. All you got to do is watch the last four episodes of the final season. I'm telling you, it's incredible. That's <laughs> no, all you no, no, no. Right. I got you. Uh, and then the entire uh, you said you the entire uh, Star Wars saga is going up on Disney Plus. All nine episodes. Yeah. As much as you can criticize. The prequel trilogies and the sequel trilogies, that's pretty cool to have. No, that absolutely is. Absolutely. And and it's something where hopefully they'll be in there for a long time that we don't have to buy the whole thing. I mean, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that's actually a pretty cool thing to have. You know, but I just crack up. Everybody does May the Fourth be it. Everybody razzes each other for it. It was <laughs> cool the first time, and now it's like, okay, you know, I get it, I get it, but it is still it's it's it, Star Wars is a huge part of our culture, so I kind of yep. get that. But my anyway, it just to go back and I digress. The point is, is that it's May 3rd. There's a lot of people that things are starting to come in restrictions. Or I think people are starting to mentally prepare for a second wave. The league I know is going to try to make this work as best as possible. You're, you're already seeing that, you know, from what John Scott said last week on Twitter, that teams are going to go back probably for June 1st. I, I have a hard time believing that. They'll have everything under control. I don't think the, the obviously they're not going to do the, the draft next month. They're not. There's just no way if they're going to tie it to the way the regular season's going to roll out or the way the season's going to finish. They're going to have to push us back to like August or something along those lines, or maybe even September. And well, then that's the season like December that they were talking about last week. Yeah, but that's what's confusing to me. Like in this article by Friedman, in the memo that Daly sent out, Bill Daly sent out to the league. They're eyeing June 5th as a date for the NHL draft. And it's crazy to me because not only you have to figure out the logistics of how you're setting up the draft order, yeah. but I have to imagine no matter who you are, whether you're uh, a Chuck Fletcher, uh, the general manager of Detroit, whoever it may be, where you're Levi, probably – Yeah. I can't imagine you have immersed yourself in the draft prospects across the globe. Oh, uh, no. I like, highly there's disagree. No way. Oh, absolutely they are. Absolutely they are. That's that's what they do all year round. Now, give listen, there were only anywhere between 14 and 11 games left in the regular season for some of these teams. Yeah, yeah. So that all their draft pre-work is pretty much done. They've watched these players go throughout the season. Scouts are out all season long watching these guys. Central scouting is having these ratings go up and down all season long. There's so many guys – that's where you prepare for the draft and get all your information. 
after the season ends is when you do a little bit more diving in because then you have the combine and then you have uh, more of um, the ideas of where like the players could be as a talker to their coaches, managers, all this different things. Like, you know, how do they finish up the season? All that stuff. It's all that scouting is already going on. It's just a point to, to put on your big board and really talk as a team because these decisions aren't made by one person are made by the team as a whole. So the scouts turn in reports. They all discuss them. They go from there. They rank these players internally. It's the same thing like in all sports, like the NFL, in baseball, NBA. Same thing. The concept is, is that I think most of these teams would be ready for the draft on June 4th because of the work that goes in. However, however, note I said however, the only thing is, is that because you still had anywhere from 14 games, some teams have 14 games left in the season, that could be a major pivot in the standings. So where do you rank these teams or where they need to draft? I mean, of course, like a team right. like rather Detroit, who had 39 points all season long through 71 games, they might they might need the first overall pick, as I said before, but a team like Ottawa, who really ultimately is only has 62 points, they're not as bad as you would think, but they're still probably going to be a lotto team. And then some other teams here, you know, you're, the other one is the lowest. The Sharks in the West are at 63. Yeah. So, and, well, look, like. Where do you and, rank them? Like, how do you rank them? Exactly. And Steve Yezerman of Detroit. Yezerman. Sorry, Iserman. I looked at the Y and I got goofed up. Yezerman. Steve Yezerman. He says in this article, quote, my thought is, why would you do that? Why would you need to do that? There's a lot of things that are affected. Obviously, the draft position hasn't been established. We don't know who's in the playoffs who's out of the playoffs in some cases. But at this time, my own opinion is I haven't heard a good reason why we should do it prior to the end of the season. If we conclude the season over the course of the summer. And that's exactly the point. Like I completely agree with Eisen on that. No, as do I. That's the biggest problem is that how do you finalize this? Like you can't go with the draft 30 days from now without having that plan in place. Yes, you can figure out things with the CBA and the escrow and the money parts of it. You have time to figure that crap out. But the point is, is that you need to figure out what you're going to do for a lottery right now. Because what a team that could be on the verge of a lottery pick right now could all of a sudden go on a winning streak at the end of the season and pull himself out of a lottery spot. Yep. Like you have to take that into consideration. Detroit obviously is going to have no chance at that. So they should automatically, by default, get the first overall pick. But the team like the Senators, who were one point out from the Sharks, who were dead last in the West at 63 points. So the whole thing is, is that, you know, those two teams are lottery teams, but they have an opportunity to get the first overall pick. I mean, how do you go to figure all this out? So San Jose could get hot in the last 10 games and pick up 20 points and finish up with 83 and, you know, finish in the middle of the pack. Yeah. I, and- you, you can't you can't figure out those logistics until you figure out what you're doing with the regular season first. You you can't. You can't. There was a, there was a weird scenario where they would j- like and they even hinted at the idea of an NHL team potentially winning the draft lottery. And then when, cause you would have to do the lottery under the current standings, I would imagine that would be the only conclusive thing. And then if you bring the season back and run out these last 10 to 15 games, depending on what, what team you are like, then potentially a team that won the lottery could still qualify the five for the playoffs. If you see what I'm saying, like they'll Correct. still win. And like, it's like a night, not a nightmare scenario, but a total asterisk or a total, like, just no, like, 
it's a nightmare scenario. It's yeah. a, that's a nightmare scenario because I, that it's going to be such a, a a ridiculous thing. Like their their dumbest thing they could do right now is throw teams like the Senators, the Devils, the Sharks onto a lottery pool. When listen to this, Detroit had thirty nine points in the entire season. They are seventeen forty nine and five, easily their worst year in team history. Their differential. Get this. I've never seen this before in my entire life. Mm-hmm. How many goals as opposed to goals scored as opposed to goals against? What was the difference? For Detroit? Yeah. Don't look it up. It was – last I looked, it was in the triple digits. I got to imagine. Yeah. It's like 97 maybe right now. 122. Wow. It went up. And dude, they have scored 145 goals all season long. That's insane. And they've given up 267. They've given up the most goals in the league and have by far scored the least by, I want to say, let's see here, by almost 40. So you're talking about a team who desperately needs a first overall pick. And that's why Steve Eisman is making this case. And he right. has a perfect valid point for it. He's like, he, and think of it from his perspective. His team is the worst team, one of the worst teams ever put ice on ice in NHL history. There, yep. there, it's not, it's, this, it's historical how bad this team has been this year. I'm curious too. Like he, it's, it's interesting that the worst team in the league is vouching for I, I i mean at the end of that's the day that's exactly he, the point i was getting to you took the words right out of my mouth like he's still advocating for his own team because he wants his team to still have a chance to win the lottery and my guess it, the best case scenario or the sensible thing i think is uh and we teased on it last week is just a one-time thing it's a one-time scenario where we do this we're just giving detroit the winner of the lottery and we'll figure it. out the draft order yeah. from there yeah, you like, can't. I think that's have, the most sensical thing. It's the absolute most sensical thing because, look, I mean, you have to think too. Detroit, there's a couple things that go into this as well. Detroit is a big, big market. It's got a lot of Huge. hockey history here. It, it's massive. I mean, think of it this way: the Red Wings, what they're going through this year, or what the Flyers went through in 06-07, when they were always at a, a, a competitive in the league, and in that one year, they were just—it was the worst thing you ever watched your entire life. They just went to the literally the bottom of the standings. Right. The whole point is, is that you, what happened to the Flyers that year? Let's go back and take a look at the Flyers that year. What happened in the next year's draft? What happened? They were clearly the worst team in the league by a country mile. And what happened that draft? What happened that lottery? Didn't they? Oh, remind me. I'm blind. I'm drawing a blank. Chicago won the lottery. Oh, right. That was the Taves year. Yeah. No, it was the Kane year. And the Flyers ended up with Van Rieser. They were the, clearly the worst team in the league, and a team that was better than them got the first overall pick. That's yep. why I think the lottery system is bogus. If you're the worst team, and I get it, it prevents tanking. I get it. But at the same time, Detroit's clearly the worst team in the league. They clearly need a an energy shot by a first overall player. Yeah, and they, I would they, even- they need that. I would even argue that doing it as just the worst team in the league. Some, I mean, it's a little bit different because the NFL is so competitive that it is like a team like San Francisco that had three wins last year now was in the Super Bowl the following season. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit. It's it's not as tough, but you can do it. Like, look what the Flyers did with as soon as they got Vigneault. Mm-hmm. But like for the most part, if you are te- like, if my point is. If you designate it to the worst team in the league, automatically has the top pick. I don't think that necessarily 
prevents tanking because you can it's actually easier to tank in my eyes mm-hmm. because you're guaranteed the top spot if you have the worst record. Right. But I, I still think your point is valid because at the end of the day, the wor- you should want the worst teams in the league to get as good as possible because if you have 31 good teams and then just by happenstance of how things work out that the – the, the that not every team goes in to the playoffs obviously then that's good like if if a team that is well above 500 doesn't make the playoffs because there are better teams in front of them that's not a bad thing that's a parity issue right i agree i i 100 agree and that's why the smartest thing they could probably do with this is not tied to the regular season just give Detroit the first overall pick. Say so we're gonna make an exception this year. Detroit's gonna get the first overall pick. You're gonna have teams like the Senators, the Sabres, the Devils, the the Sharks. Everybody whining about it. You know what? Tell them tough doo doo. All right, yeah. deal with it. It's a special situation. Take all those teams who didn't really have a shot in the playoffs. Put it all in the bucket and have them lotto where they go from there. The seriously, yeah. just let them do it. I mean, at this point, it's the only thing that's going to make sense. Each team in the bottom half of the league that does not have a shot at the playoffs, they have to be clearly, clearly out of it. Because you can't have a playoff team come in and get a lotto spot in top. I mean, at that point, in mid-round, first-round pick, it doesn't matter. Those guys aren't playing for three, four years anyway. And think about but this. The point, this. Still. This is the other thing, and this is a thing that affects all teams. Like, And I know we're talking about Detroit here, but let's let's focus on what the Flyers could potentially be doing during the NHL draft. On Let's, let's go into the assumption that they're going to have this insane idea of doing it on June 5th of this year before – when you potentially have – Training camps back up starting on June 1st. Then four days later, you have the NHL draft. The insanity of that. But for teams like the Flyers that are looking to get, probably get rid of picks more than uh, gain picks because they're at that point where they can trade picks for players, how do you get players? If you're a lottery team who's looking for draft picks and sell off assets, so think of like Toronto that we've used, who's going to be in cap hell. They're going to want draft picks. What do you like? How do you trade a player in the middle of a potential season while also doing a draft? You know what I mean? No idea. It's impossible. Like you can't have these players traded on draft day on June fifth and then say, "Well, these trades are technically for the 2020-2021 season, so you're going to play for your team for the last fifteen games." That's psychotic. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I don't think that's. And I agree. That's a big problem because a lot of wheeling and dealing goes down on draft day. There's so yes. much. Hang on. I have, I have the stat here. It's mentioned in this article I have of daily, daily indicated the league's research of the last five draft days. So last five drafts, there were 106 trades conducted and 64 would have been similarly per- permissible had the draft been staged prior to the end of the season. Yeah, probably because you're flipping but that, picks. But you're that, probably that, flipping picks. I mean, a lot of right. those are flipping picks back and forth. Like, hey, But the like- other 48% or whatever that number is in the, in the average out of the 106 trades, the other ones are all valid trades that would not have been valid for the current season Correct. like when you have players or like for instance when the flyers traded Braden shen to the blues for the pick a first round draft pick and they got morgan frost out of the deal that would have been permissible when the devils traded for Corey schneider back when they had the draft years ago that would have been permissible i like, feel like just the drick picks yeah but i mean yeah and that's obvious but again and here's the thing the draft isn't so much for just wheeling deal on that day there's a lot of trades that get talked about that don't happen till late in the summer yep like 
until until those type of like there'll be trades out they'll be like, hey you know what do you have interest for in this guy like you know can we work something out here you get you get those conversations you get the guys in the same room and you have, that's when you talk about your bigger bigger hockey trades of course but the thing is is that those deals need to kind of happen because that that keeps the fluidity and teams getting better and stuff like this at this point this would relegate something to just oh pick the best player available and it, yes. there would be no excitement. Yep. And listen, the NHL's draft coverage on TV is the most god awful thing anyway. It's terrible. Yeah, it's boring. It, it, it's, it's, it's it's lackluster. It's, it's, el- it's gross. Awful. It's disgusting, and it makes me want to puke. It's that bad. The whole point is maybe I'm a little dramatic there, but you get my no, point. you're valid. Like it's just it's just I think that actually you know what you might have just shed some light on something. I think they're trying to cause a controversy just for. The ratings, like, like if if you talk Nobody's about the norm, watch it anyway. I know, but like, even if you're trying to uh, get some stir around the NHL draft, which has, as you have talked about, historically boring and terrible draft coverage on the networks, uh, like. If you do a draft, because no other league is talking about this. The NFL mm. just had their draft, but that was in the offseason. The Which NBA actually was really good. I'm not going to lie. Out. It was it did pretty, work out. really good draft, man. That was pretty cool to watch. It did yeah. work out. So yeah. the NFL just had theirs. The NBA is nowhere close to talking about this because you're like they're focused on getting their season back. Like right. if if the first sport, if I were to guess, the first sport to come back is going to the NBA, That's and hopefully, or the uh, Major League Baseball. But that that might be the only exception. But if the NBA comes back, the NHL needs to be right on their heels. Oh, uh, well, just like it did before. And it'll be fourth like it always is because, you know, yep. they have to follow everybody and don't take the lead on things. Like, I just feel like the NHL, like the way Bill Daly is talking about this, he's they're creating more problems than they already need to. They already need like they already have enough problems on their hand because of COVID-19. Why are they creating more by adding something that is so unnecessary? Like he says, well, the fact of the quote, the fact of the matter is that whenever we hold the 2020 draft in early June or shorthanded into a short window in October or November, it is not going to be a typical NHL draft. If it is going to not look the same, it is not a going not going to feel the same. It is not going to be the same. While we may while we may know more over about next year's landscape in terms of the CBA, salary cap, escrow, etc. in November than we will in June, we are still not not going to know everything. Yeah, I know, Bill. So then freaking do the draft in November. Who cares? There right. are no rules anymore. Right. Stop right. creating a rule that you have to do the draft in June. Stop it. Billy, I love how you're getting mad at the NHL. This is what I've been complaining about since day one of this podcast, that the NHL is is being is sometimes ridiculous in the things that they do. This is why like, they're fourth. Yes. Like this is why. Yes, bingo. You hit the nail in the head. Thank you, God. Yes, this is why they're fourth, because they're overthinking it. Like, seriously, you said it absolutely spot on. Hit the nail on the head, man. Spot on. Like you just, can do this in November. You can wait. The right. kids, the, there is no other kind of supplemental draft in the in the NHL. So you're gonna have your drafts for the kids who are drafted in November. Well, you're not gonna get any more eligibility from there. It'll be the kids who are 2020 eligible. That's it. Yeah. And then most of them are gonna go back to their junior teams anyway. 
So you have it where it's almost like the lockout right. season. The only yeah. players that we're going to see in the NHL next year that are taken in this draft are they're going to be the top two at most, as you talked about. Yeah. Like, it's insanity. Like, this this Bill Daly thinks the NHL draft is somehow holier than now. And it's like, dude, stop thinking this. You need to be focused on getting your product back out on the ice. You need to, have, you need to figure out what you want to do for the playoffs, not figure out who's going to be taken in the fifth round on June 7th Bingo. when you do three days of tra- draft coverage. Bingo. Because here's the thing. If you do the NHL offseason like around November and start it up in December, what you're talking about, you're going to get a lot more lead-in hype about the new season starting. Because yes. if you do it right before the season starts, you already played your season late. You take fully a full break. You do your free agency later on, like Octoberish. You have your draft in, or vice versa. You do your draft in October, and then maybe do your free agency at the end of October, early November, and boom, you're right in a training camp. And guess what? Everybody's like, "Whoa!" What NHL just just back to back and back did this, and now we're on the off skate. And you might actually see the fact that doing this this close to the season may actually increase people because. Listen, people tune in for July 1st a lot. Like, for me, I'm not going to lie. When July 1st hits, I'm clocked in all day, tuned in, just paying attention to everything that goes on, all the signings, everything along those lines. Same thing with deadline day. People tune into that stuff. And if you do it right to the season, you're going to have a lot of hot topics leading up because basically, guess what? Like a week after, you can start your training camp. Say, oh, man, they had this guy a week ago. They just drafted him. And look at this brand new shiny draft pick that might be skating out here. Now, granted, 99.9% of these players aren't going to play until like two or three years, sometimes even four, down the line. The point is, though, is that you can get a lot more lead and a lot more people talking about it and a lot more things you have to forego your prospect camps and you have to forego those types of things, but nobody pays attention to them anyway. Just nope. get them, send them back to juniors, get them going on their junior and, season, and it'll be a lot better lead-in. I just think it'll be better lead-in. You want to have a better product too, and this will be my final point. If you want a better eyeball and make it more eyeballs on your product and to make it more fair for these prospects that are drafted in November and play in December, expand the three-day and 10-day stupid rule that you have on prospects. Let them stay in for 20 games and still be and still not allow their entry-level contract to kick in. Who cares? We're completely off the rails here. Yeah. Like there's no there's are no rules. If you want to adhere to your stupid 10-day contract, whatever or whatever the term is for these players that are still in juniors and then the teams have to make their decision on what they want to do with said player, expand that to 20 games. Expand it to 82 games. I, Forgo it. Who well, cares? Well, hang on. You can't because that is also it's a CBA issue. Now, okay, but, fine. But, but the point, like I I think like you'll still be able to, to like make an exception or find some sort of leeway in what you can do with the player. I get that the players union would step in in that scenario and be like, okay, well you have to, we have to do something about this. So it might create a little bit of a little bit of angst, but still, you gotta get. Everyone has to get, do a little give and take at this point. That's what no, I'm getting at. I agree. I agree. The whole point is, is that some of the CBA issues can be worked out. They can be kind of negotiated with an asterisk next to it. But even yep. so, like the 10 game stipulation is that you have a player can come in and play less than 10 games, 10 games or less in the NHL and not have a year count against his, uh, his, his ELC. Yep. Which, so you get an extra year eligibility out of it. So that's why you had some guys come up before 
get a cup of coffee, and then get sent back down to junior. They can't go to the AHL before they're 20, so they have to go back down to junior. I would just even do this. Unless there's a surefire pick, which I'm not even sure there really is this year, but first overall, doesn't mean you need to be on the ice that day, whatever. And you're, you might, like I said, first overall, second overall, you're probably going to see some of these guys. Top 10, rarely do you see more than three or four ever play their first year in the NHL right away. They, rarely. I think four is the max I may have ever seen. Granted, you're, you're going to have one, your top one, top two. Look at the Nolan Patrick situation. The point is, is that you have an ability here to kind of gain more attention to it and not force it. Because if you do it now, you're going to cause issues with the teams because you have to figure stuff out. The other point is, is that, you know, you're, you're going to go back into a play in a season anyway. So here you got to draft the guy. You're going to go back, resume a season, and he's not eligible to play until the following season, so which is going to be later. So you have to wait. This kid has to wait X amount of months because I'm sure that you're not going to allow him to turn to junior beforehand. Yeah, and who you knows know, if the juniors are going to be playing? We have no idea exactly. what those individual leagues are going to be doing. That's the point. So don't rush it. Don't rush this. Don't rush it at all. No, I or or even let them like similar to like a red shirt in college. You, you they can't play in a regular game, but they're allowed to practice with the team. Get them some sort of experience. Yeah, uh, I think that would also be a CBA issue because okay. you have to think too that some of those things why they sound may, may sound easy because of union rules and union yeah. contract. All those things have stipulations. The ten game contract is a CBA stipulation, so yeah, you're not going to renegotiate just for this. You're going to have to work things out. The bigger issues is that, and also I don't know if the players would want to do something like that because what's going to become an issue is essentially is escrow. I want to wait and until they kind of see what they're going to do with the salary cap and escrow before we really dive into it. But and that'll that's be, in, be in November. It, yeah, and it, I don't know if it's going to be in November. They're going to have to do something by like, that. They're going to have like to figure did, that out sooner. Yeah. Like, because like, that's going to screw up. Because the money they missed out of the last 10 to 14 games, each team count against the revenues. So, for instance, like – the the by the end of the season everything kind of evens out with the with the 50 50 thing all the, the players put a certain amount of money into escrow and if the nhl if the players have more have made more money than the owners have and it's not an even 50 50 split the players use that escrow fund to fund back the owners and go from there so yeah. it's just um it's just it's it's silly it's just uh it's just completely completely silly but again We'll have to do a full chalk talk on that because escrow is so important to why the contracts are inflated yep. that you have to see why. Kevin, he's even though he's like making over seven million dollars on his contract, his dollar amount is actually like six and a quarter because of the escrow. So we'll discuss that later on down the line. But that's going to be the biggest thing to watch because a lot of things that the players are going to want back and forth with that are going to be tied to what happens with the salary cap and escrow. Yeah, and that's going to be very important, and we'll get more into that so when important. the actual offseason occurs. I because think that's that could what, screw yeah. a lot of t- – like, okay, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. Watch Toronto. I've been saying this for yep. – how long have we been doing this podcast? Yeah, 26 I, episodes now. Yeah, so we for 26 weeks, I've been saying – to probably a longer than that. Watch Toronto. Toronto, whatever they do with the salary cap, is going to be screwed. Yep. They're going to be in so much trouble. They're going to have to give players away. So, yep. yeah, you're gonna ha- you're gonna want to pay attention to that. Teams who are right up against the cap right now, whatever happens with escrow, everything like that, there's gonna be a lot of things with that. The Flyers have some padding there, I think, so they'll be okay. But they might have to forego like re-signing a guy like Derek Grant. So, uh, we'll, we'll, once they have everything settled out, we can talk about that more. But instead of having the logistics with the draft, as far as 
you know, CBA contracts and, and, and uh, entry-level contracts, look at that escrow because that's going to be huge. Well, speaking of contractual issues and, and just in, I'm, I was in for a good laugh today and boy, did I get it. And I sent this to you and you reacted the exact same way. Um, reliving 2010 is not always fun for Philadelphia Flyers fans, given what happened with uh, Ray, or excuse me, I almost said Ray Emery. Well, yeah, Ray Emery was a part of that. Yeah. Ray Emery, Scott, or uh, Law in and, and, and Brian Scott Boucher. Was- yeah, Scott Lawton wasn't there. Mike Layton. Mike Layton. God, this quarantine. <laughs> and it's killing you. It's killing it's you. destroying me in terms of how I remember names. It's God, awful. It's all good, homie. But uh, have you been watching the ESPN? It's on tonight, uh, Sunday at 9, the last dance on the coverage of the Bulls in 1997, 98. Yeah, and I got to say, I've been blown away by it, it's man. So it's so good. Fantastic. It's However, such a good series. Another Chicago team has decided to compare themselves to it, and I couldn't believe this. And I like this is just something I could not help but laugh at the 2009-2010 Blackhawks, who won the Stanley Cup against the Flyers, and it was the first of their three in that decade. Compared themselves to the nineteen ninety eight Bulls as two thousand and ten as their last dance. Come on, like. Are we serious? Like, there's no way. Like, they NBC Sports Chicago interviewed Joe Quinville, and he didn't say it verbatim that, but he made his argument of how – made his comparisons to it. It's psychotic. It is because that was the first of their dynasty. And listen, they had to – let me kind of give that background of what happened here. They had drafted very well over the past few years – before that, over the past couple of years, Very Chicago well. was a bottom feeder team right around the time of the lockout. They had play a lot of player turnover with older players. The Flyers had picked up um, uh, Tony Amani used to be the really big star. Jeremy Roenick used to play there at Ed Belfour and goal in the late nineties. They, they started shooing those guys out. They kind of started a rebuild that lasted a few years. Mike Layton and Craig Anderson were actually the goaltenders for Chicago at 03 and 04 and Jocelyn Tebow after he got hurt. Yep. Um, what ended up happening though is that they they had some really good drafts when they weren't that good. Oh, you know, 0304-0506. Then they picked up Jonathan Taves in the 05 draft. Nobody realizes that he was picked right behind Sidney Crosby. Jonathan Taves is yeah. a fantastic player. Then they got Patrick Kane. And then they got really good. The Flyers dumped off Patrick Sharp to them for basically where I think it was Kyle Calder at the time it was supposed to be good and he absolute terrible. Um Anyway, I digress. The whole point is they directed very well over the past couple of years, got some really good players. Uh, Andrew Ladd, Dustin Bufflin, Nicholas Jamerson, uh, Brent Seabrook, Duncan Keith, forget those. Corey Crawford was one of those guys. Uh, yeah. A lot of their team. Corey Crawford didn't play in the 2009-2010 uh, final. It was Antti Niemi. He was, he was, it was actually his rookie year. It was his first year in the NHL, believe it or not. Anyway. Crawford. Well, it was Crawford's first. No, Niemi. Niemi. Oh, Niemi that's right. won it was that Niemi's because they had. Ni- to, and, and, and this is this is what ties into all this is that they had a lot of guys who were on performance incentive laden contracts that was over that that they were allowed to do. So, for instance, when you have um, like Patrick Kane, Patrick Kane got a lot of performance bonuses because he exceeded the numbers he was supposed to do. That screwed up things. Then they couldn't keep Dustin Bufflin because Dustin. Now think of it. Dustin Bufflin was one of the best defensemen in the league. He was switching between defense and right wing, and they he was a second pairing defenseman. <laughs> like that's how good Chicago was at the time. Yeah, they had Keith and they had Seabrook. 
They were one of the point. deepest teams. Like, I, oh, like it was you, ridiculous. They, it Brent was absurd. Sopel. Brent Sopel was who used to be a, actually a pretty solid defenseman. It was, I would say it would be uh, probably a three or four. He's in the third pairing. Like that, and it, that's how good they were. Patrick Sharp, Andrew Ladd, all these different guys. Thomas Kopechki, Chris Versteeg, your favorite player. Um, oh, God, <laughs> I, he's the first player mentioned in that article on NBC Sports Chicago that I that made, and I'm just like, my God, I hate this article already, and I didn't even need to get to the crux of it. Yeah, it, here's the thing. Like, what happened when up after the season is that because of these performance bonuses, it was putting them over on the cap, and they were going to yep. already receive cap penalties because of that. So the issue is, is that they wind up having to trade some of their best players. They had to trade Andrew Ladd and Dustin Bufflin to the Thrashers, okay? Anybody here who's listening know who the Thrashers are? No, you yeah. don't because they're in Winnipeg now. So, uh, you know, <laughs> but the point is, is that they had players like that. Nicholas Jomerson got a an offer sheet from the San Jose Sharks. And they, in order to match that, they had to let go of their Stanley Cup winning goaltender. His first year in the league, they had to let him go. He was on, he was an unrestricted free agent after the year just because he would, came over. He wasn't – it was it, with the way the contracts worked at the time, he could be an undrafted free agent because he was over restricted eligibility. Right. He was so over he, in Finland for a while. I exactly. He came over as an older player and signed as a free agent. He wasn't like a regular draft player. Yep. So the whole point was is that then they had to let him go. So, But the point is, is that anyway, all these things had to happen for them to get under the cap. But here's the point. You still won two freaking Stanley Cups after that with pretty much the same core. You still had Patrick Sharp. You still had Jonathan Taves. You still had Patrick Kane. You still had Brent Seabrook. You still had Duncan Keith. You still had Corey Crawford. Corey he started as a rookie the next year. He had six right. players who won you two more cups. And you want to call it the last dance? Kiss my ass. That's the last dance. Yeah, you had to give up some good players. But that happens to every team. Sometimes you get yourself in trouble where you have to make some roster turnover. The difference and is. You didn't dip in talent, obviously. No, because the difference is if Michael Jordan or Dennis Rodman or 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 Scottie Pippen leave in that trio in between ninety the ninety uh, seven season and the ninety eight season, the season's over for them. They don't win the another championship even Bingo. with Michael Jordan. Bingo. If you, you lost all these players for Chicago Blackhawks and you still won the cup two more times, as you just said, you still it's kept insane. your core. You still it wasn't a last dance. Like you if kept you want to. If you want to argue that you would like to see a documentary series on the Chicago Blackhawks era, fine. I'm willing to hear you out. I I don't think it's that impressive. I, I like. I mean, it's impressive, obviously, but I don't think it's that interesting. You you had a run and then you dipped off, and and now you're trying to get back into it. That's fine, but that's what every franchise goes through. It's not unique, similar to the Chicago Bulls in the '90s who won six championships. Right. Like all you you just had a you you built a team. You you had success a lot of success and then you teared off and then you fired your coach and joe quinville who's now in in florida so it's like is it that is it that interesting that is worthy of a docuseries maybe for chicago but i'm not gonna watch it but like that's that's their decision it's, it's not let me tell you it's not because i could see if you were talking about hey we're boys we're gonna go like if you're gonna do a documentary like that, let's let's go back to to two different teams before you blew everything up. Let's go back yep. to the 20, 2009, 2010 Philadelphia Flyers, uh, or actually the 2010, 2011 Philadelphia Flyers, where they got swept by Boston and went up trading Richards and Carter the year after, and then signed Brzezka, and they kind of did what the Winter Classic bit on HBO. Okay, great, but let's talk about the team, the probably the best team the Flyers ever put on the ice, and they didn't win a cup. 
0304. Okay. Or we can go back even farther than that. Let's look at the 86, 87 team. Okay. Let, yeah. So, you know, all these different teams, you could do that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's nonsense. They think it's your last dance. You lost a couple good players. You got value back. You still won two Stanley. You won three Stanley Cups in six years. And the only people that really kept you away from the final in the first place was the, the, the Los Angeles Kings. I mean, yeah. they're the only ones who they really had to go over because they had to play them in the playoffs three years and three years. And it, it's, it's, it's insane to me how they can just think that that would be the I, I, absurd. It's just absurd. I hate how so, people try to compare things like that. Like, yes. let's compare errors and championships. Together. Like, hey, let's look at the, the 2018-17 Eagles and let's compare it to the 2008 Phillies. You know what was magical about that? You know what did feel similar? That you knew something was special about them. That, that yep. was it. That was that's the only thing they have similar. Okay, the 2009 2010 Philadelphia Flyers. You know what they had in comparison to all those teams in the the 80s that went to the final and and the team from 96 97. You know what? Because it felt special, and then they yep. fell flat on their face. But yep. the thing is, you can, you, you can't compare these. Oh, let's talk about the 2010 team and how it was their last dance. They had to get rid of a couple of players. They kept their core intact. I could see like after 2015 and say, okay, now we got to trade Taves and Kane, and we got to trade Seabrook, and we got to trade Keith. But the last time I checked, they're still on that team. So yep. last dance, if they're going to do one, maybe do one now when you're dead last in the Central Division. Maybe yeah. maybe, maybe do it now. And or, let's, let's take a or, look at that. Or the final year of Quinville. Like, we'll do something with that. Whatever you like, – like the final year of Quin. generally speaking, the final years of a coach are not great. But, like, do something surrounding that. Like, that's the – but on this subject, like, if – so if the Flyers, if the Flyers, someone came up to the Philadelphia Flyers, NBC Sports, Philly, HBO, whoever, like who would, what would you like to see as a, not a last dance, but just a, a focused documentary series, not necessarily 10 parts. It could be three, it could be four, whatever it may be. Who do you want to see? You're asking Flyers related? Yeah, for, just for the Flyers. You know, it's weird. It's this week I started reading. Um, I started reading this week. Actually, I, I bought I bought a book online. I bought, but the you started, you uh, yeah, started I started. Yeah, I wasn't house, watching, yeah, you know what? Magic Treehouse and then worked your way up. A little school bus, uh, you know, <laughs> Clifford the Big Red Dog, all those ones. Um, no, actually, I, I bought the Flyers' 50th anniversary book. It was um, it's oh, done cool. by done by Drake uh, Jay Greenberg. He yeah. did a one previously full spectrum, which I'm going to read after. Um, but the reason I bought this one is because it picks up where full spectrum went off and it really is from 96 to, I think, 2015, 16, which to me, it was really the era I started following. So I really wanted to read a lot into it and, and going back and I, I've read it's 600 pages and I'm already through about a quarter of it. No lie. More nice. than that already. I've gotten through a lot of it. Um, the whole point is, is that uh, maybe it's just me. The 2009-10 team would be amazing simply because of that run, they, that playoff run. The way yep. they had to go through that adversity, it would be absolutely amazing. The thing is, though, was that maybe it's just me personally. I was there for a lot of those games in 2009-2010. It was my first year out of college. I was working full-time, and I, a lot of nights I was going down there and, and going to games. I would say I probably went to at least 10 games that season, no less, and that's not including the playoff ones. So I kind of saw everything that was going on. Everybody was really in tune to it. But the one team that people kind of forget about how special it really was was that 2003-2014 because you knew things were changing with the lockout coming. If you weren't a fan of hockey before the lockout, you probably can't relate. 
I would rather see post lockout 2009, 2010, pre lockout 0304. And yeah. the reason why is because you had so many characters on the team. I mean, you had Jeremy Roenick, you had Keith Primo, you had Tony Amante, you had Mark Recchi, you know, you had um, Vladimir Malakov, who was a, who, all these big names on that team, who just Simone Gagne, all these big players, all these big names who were on that team. And you knew things were going to change because everybody knew that there was going to be a problem labor wise and the, the next season was in jeopardy. And that was. That was a team that you never had more talent on a team. You just never did. I mean, if it weren't for injuries, that team would have won the Stanley Cup. But they got decimated on defense, and they just couldn't recover. Eric Desjardins broke his arm like two weeks before the end of the season, and it was was game over on their back end from there. So for me personally, I would like to see that because to see that ride that they went on, that emotional ups and downs of that, same thing with 2009-2010. I can't pick between the two. I really can't. But those those would be the one. And a dark horse for me – 0708 because they really reformed that team after that 2006 7 season. You know, it brought in a whole new player. They I mean, basically wiped the cabinet clear. Peter Forsberg was gone. They bring in Jason Smith and make him captain, bring in Marty Biron and goal. And they had the young core of guys like Richards and, and Carter. It would be cool to see something there, too. No, it, I it, actually, that leads into mine. I, that's what I want to see. Not just that, I would see, want to see two parts. 0708 what bringing in the young core of the phantoms and all that who won the calder cup mm-hmm. in what was it 0506 that mm-hmm. they won no well, yeah 0405 yeah with richards with carter because they were in the farm system and it was yeah. it seemed like it was finally a point when the flyers were finally had understood that they need to build from within and then they add pieces on the outside and not build from the outside in and so i but then Leading into the after the trades of Richards and Carter to Nashville, or yeah, to Nashville and Los Angeles later, just Columbus, Columbus, Columbus excuse me, mm-hmm. I said uh, Columbus. Like I want to see how that era. What happened? Because you would get 2009-010, you would be able to dab into that a little bit. Because I agree with you, it's an interesting run. But as I've said, like. A lot of things broke their way in the playoffs. They able to because they obviously beat the Rangers in the shootout to get in on the last day of the season to get that seventh seed. A lot of th- it was a weird playoff run. And you I have, think, but you need that in the playoffs. You need things right. to fall your way. Like honestly, you to, yes. your first round should be any team that's going to make a run. Their first round has to be easy. It has to be easy yep. because you can't too worn down with too many games. Your first round that's can kill you. Look at the ninety five ninety six Flyers. If Tampa hadn't taken them to six games, they'd probably beat Florida in the next round. And and honestly, yeah. I, I hate to go back 20 years, but it's the truth. You you let's go back to 2012, the last time the Flyers won a round. You don't play Pittsburgh in that first round, you probably beat Jersey in the second round. No, but the I 100 percent agree. But they wouldn't that- they wouldn't have beat the Rangers in the third round. Nobody was going to beat the Rangers. The Devils nope. got lucky by beating them, actually. Um, and I'd say lucky. They worked hard, they played well. The point is, is that the Flyers wouldn't have been able to beat the Rangers in that 2012 season. They just, the Rangers had their number. The whole point is, is that you're right. They were, they were the seventh seed. They came in and played the second seed, the Devils, who were a bit on a slide. The Flyers had their number. They were just playing hot at the time. And the Devils clearly weren't good enough that year to go any further. The Flyers owned them the past, in a couple of late matchups in that season. It's ridiculous how I remember all this off the top of my head, but <laughs> it's true. Um, and they wound up they wound up going well with them. Boston had beaten them all year long. I mean, Boston owned the Flyers. I remember the Flyers yeah. lost the Winter Classic, and then there was another one. I remember. I'll never forget it. I, I I always made it a rule. I never drank during a work night. I never did. 
But the Flyers in late February that season were, were on a such a hot streak. And it was one of those things where they were playing in Boston in Boston. I remember just I remember having a couple drinks at my house, just watching this game and being so into it. I was living in Maniac at the time. I was so into it. My buddy, like, dude, it's a Tuesday night. Why are you getting into this game? Like, you don't understand how big this is. Chemo team and scores in overtime. And I went nuts because it was just a big win. But before that, the Flyers had been owned all season. You knew that series was going to be tight to go down 3-0 and then come back. And then coming off that, you're such an emotional high and you're playing high. And Montreal had gotten lucky to beat a Pittsburgh. And now you have a 7-8 seed who are going to go to the go to the conference final. And it's never happened before. So you're right. A lot of things broke their way. But still, you needed to beat those teams. So it would be cool to see. The, and I agree with you because I think it would be cool to see the progression of 07-08 seeing the the Flyers young guys like Giroux I'm not that Giroux wasn't really there he didn't really come into 09 but you see like Carter you see Richards you see how they reform the leadership you see it flow in a, a 2008 2009 where you know they got beat in the first round pretty handily and if yeah. you look out back and look at it um you know but seeing the guy like Giroux come up and realize okay they're close but they need a couple more pieces then you go off and pull one of the biggest trades in Flyer history and go get Chris Pronger which I'll never forget actually, where I was. You know I what? Forget, I never forget where I was with that. I was driving. I was actually driving back to Temple, listening to the draft on the radio, and yeah. they broke in on, on WIP, and they're like, "The Flyers just got Chris Pronger," and I nearly crashed my car. And yeah. I was like, "I, I was, I was, I, I would this, go, what? <laughs> they got Chris Pronger? What?" I were, so two moments actually. I changed. I would. I mean, we've we've heard obviously the story of Chris Pronger of what happened to him, but I'd love to have a f- more f- in. And I I don't even know if it's a if it's right to call more in-depth analysis of what happened there, because I think it's pretty straightforward, but I think a feature on that would be pretty interesting. What happened yeah. to Chris Pronger was tragic. It cut his career down by probably four or five seasons at his age at that point, maybe even a little bit more. And it's just, it's one of the biggest what ifs I think, because as soon as Pronger went down, Drew became the captain a couple years later because they they had that was the it next season the next season was it he, the next he, season he, he I got thought hurt in for some reason he got hurt in the 2011 2012 season right it was almost okay. like what happened to Flyers in 0506 or, or sorry yeah. yes the 0506 season when when Keith Primo went down Keith Primo went down nine games in the 0506 season never played a game again yeah. Chris Pong was the same thing and the Flyers. Luckily, we're able to rebound quick. The Flyers rebound too with Giroud. Don't get me wrong; just they've been mediocre since then. They haven't made that push to the final yet. Um, you know, it, it's weird how all of a sudden, fly, when Flyer captains go down, the whole makeover of the team changed. Think about it: Lindros went down, they cut Lindros loose, and they rebuild around Primo and Ronick. And then Primo goes down, and they rebuild around uh, Carter and Richards. And then they trade those guys away, and they make Giroud and Pronger the centerpiece. Then Pronger goes down, and it's just Giroud after that. And, you know, I mean, like, it's it's crazy how all that's going down. But, like, it, it is weird in a sense where, yeah, we the way Chris Pronger went down was really, really hurt the Flyers because it hurt a big defenseman. It tied him up with cap space for a little while there until they got him an LTIR. And for a guy who was that good and that stable and could just stabilize a team like that and that type of leader to lose that presence on such a young team, I really think that's why the Flyers have been mediocre for the past couple of seasons. I agree. 
I, I think I that losing Pronger, his presence was a bigger deal than people think. If, if you go and watch TV and you watch the hockey documentaries, you have to see how the locker room feels. And just by reading this book, you're kind of seeing about how the locker room influence really does help a team. If there's discourse in the locker room, the team shows it on the ice. It just happens. If if the guys get yep. along and they well and they leave each other and they're having fun and they're playing loose, that translates on the ice. I think with Pronger leaving. They had Yager, but then Yager bolted after one year. The after one is, year, yeah. yeah well, because they couldn't re-sign him because they had to pick that between uh, it, between Yager and Matt Carl, and they wound up losing them both. And that's what set them up to screw him for the 12-13 season because they waited too long on that, and then they tried to put in max bids for Parise and Suter and lost that on both of them. So they never really replaced that leadership on the back end. You cannot replace a guy like Chris Pronger. For two reasons. His skill, he's a Hall of Famer. He's absolute Hall of Famer. You can't replace his skill, but more importantly, you can't replace his leadership. This is a guy who played under Iron Mike Keenan and just basically Keenan rolled on the ground until he finally picked it up. Because, listen, Pronger was like all the guys like people used to rumor about with Carter and Richards where they'd be out partying and not giving a crap about anything. Keenan got in his face and and basically was going to shut him out the door. And then Pronger turned the corner, and that really turned his career around because – Every team he went to after that went to the final and won it. I mean, he took yep. Edmonton. A bottom, Edmonton was not good at all. And he lead, he led that team to game seven of the 06 Cup final. The next year he gets traded and then goes to the Cup final with, with Anaheim. And then as soon as he comes to Philadelphia, they're in the final. So he was that type of player. And not having him really set the team back. So... Well, that I'm sorry for ranting. It's just it's all these things you have to think of, but that would be so cool to see. So, if you're gonna see any kind of last dance documentary with that, dude, totally be the eleven. Actually, I take back the 0304. I take back that you got to do that whole era up to eleven twelve. Yeah, you have to. You have to. That that's that's the era there. That's the that storyline that's crucial. There. That, yeah, it totally is. Yeah, just the storyline that's there is fascinating. So, uh, before we wrap, we're gonna do our traditional stuff of. What are we watching, Scott? What uh, I mean, we got uh, more than enough content. I mean, my oh. God, it's all out there. What are you watching? Well, so I, I, as usual, I started watching hockey games again this week. Yeah, um, I actually watched um, the marathon, the game four, the two thousand semifinals with the Flyers and Penguins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. five overtime game. I watched that. And it made me realize not even the not even just the five overtimes, all the first three periods, and then the five overtimes. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's incredible. I have no. Listen, I'm a loser. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Like you only have two kids and a wife and a mortgage and all that stuff. Yeah, but you know what the thing is is that it's it's when they're going to bed. It's it's nice just to kind of dig because you know. Hockey's always been for me a way to kind of clear my head. I've always got into it. Just something to watch. And like to go back in 20 years later and appreciate a game like that and what it did. Cause I also read about it in the book as well. So to go back and actually watch it and like know the player perspective from it and having under that, that, that perspective and, and, and appreciation for it now, how big of a game it really was. And for that, uh, for that team, it makes it special. But um, I realized something too. I realized that, you know, I, Two weeks ago, you said I got to stop living in the '90s, and like, yeah, I, I grew up like watching like late '90s hockey with all the clutching and grabbing, and like I watched a couple weeks ago the the '94 series between the Devils and the Rangers, and I, you know, I love I love the intensity, but the game itself now is actually so much better than it used to be. It really yes. is. It, it, it so is. 
it's so like, much better. Like going through these, these they're going, you know, with the, we released game one of the 97 final and broke that down this week. Game two will be coming this week or, or later, later on this week. You know, the whole thing is, is that looking at it, you realize with all the clutching and grabbing and the way the emphasis was placed on defensive systems, not defense players, but defensive systems, the whole team buying into defense, while the clutching and grabbing and the, 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 the obstruction that would be called nowadays it's so much better being faster yes there were heavier hits back then which i still kind of am a fan of but you know the game is so much better nowadays like it's just so much faster and cleaner like my my little guy he'll come in here it's it's hilarious every single morning without doubt he just wants to come in and he wants to watch hockey for 10 minutes so we we put on like highlights from this, this past season or like you know other teams and all these different things and Freaks out when a goal scored. It's awesome. But the cool thing is, like, watching it, you see how much skill there is nowadays. The speed and the skill is actually better than what it used to be. And you know what? It's w- – without hockey now, you you could appreciate something like that. So, you know, I, I, you're right. I got to get away from the 90s. You're right. And I think I, – I really have <laughs> – am convinced that today's game is much better than it was before because – while the intensity was really good back then, and you can remember that, but that's what you remember in the intensity. The game itself sucked. Uh, nowadays, it's better. But besides hockey, uh, that was my hockey watching this week. Regular TV watch this week. I didn't do a whole lot because I started, um, uh, what's it called, uh, reading that book. Uh, two things I watched this week. Um, yesterday, I watched a video on how to put in laminate flooring on YouTube. Oh, uh, fun. Yeah, I'm going to have a project coming up here soon for that. And secondly, I started uh, The Man in the High Castle Ooh, on, on Prime. I, I I saw that, and, you know, it's weird. The reason I'm watching it, you're going to think I'm nuts. I was on Twitter the other day, and I saw that people were comparing the protests out there to, like, what people, people would hire, like, having, like, like uh, German language protest signs at these protests. It's getting out of hand. I'm not going to touch yeah. it because it, people are – whatever um the whole point is is that someone put that next to the man in high cast and i thought it was a joke and when i looked that up i'm like oh this is an actual series like oh th- this is about if if the nazis won the war like yep. I'm, I'm a big world war ii guy so watching that i'll be like oh i could totally get into that that'd be like a different perspective It'd be crazy but watching it dude it i'll tell you what it's 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 pretty interesting because you have Sweet. to think like wow like that's um that that's that's pretty much how it would go so I've wa- I've watched two seasons of that. I think there's three or four seasons, and I didn't complete it. I won't get into the full reason why because um, I don't want to ruin it for you. But here's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. On the face of it, I love the idea of alternative history TV shows. Mm-hmm. Similar to what – like this is a, it's one where World War II goes the other way and America gets screwed up. Right. Like it, it, it sounds great on paper. That first season, I remember being pretty happy with it, and then it just gets crazy at the end, the second season, and I'm just like, I'm tapping out, and I got out. And someone told me Ooh. how the show ends, and I was just like, eh, I'm okay with it. I'm, 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 I'm okay not ever watching it again. But let me know what you think. It's not yeah. a, it's not, it's just one of those shows that's like, it sounds interesting. It's good. It's interesting because. So you're on the second episode. So you've gone to the neutral zone and all that. Yeah, they're they're yeah, yeah they're, they're in the neutral zone. She threw the guy off the dam, which was <laughs> like okay, like a little little excessive for my taste there. But you know, they went. Uh, I had to pause it today when they were going hunting for the guy in the dam. So I was like, yeah. oh, 
okay, like, all right, I, I get it's going to be a little slow, but like, I tried watching Homeland. Like, see, I, you, the way you feel about this show, so that, I mean, I, it's too early for me to judge, but that's how I felt about Homeland. I got about yeah. halfway through season one of Homeland. I'm like, I, it, it, the premise, just, it, I, it's not the, it's not what I was looking for. I thought Homeland would be totally different. I thought it would be a lot more, let's just say, um, I like, I like, shows that mess with your mind and make you think a lot like what oh, the hell you is need going to, on you need, to, you need to be watching westworld I'm I, I, I have i watched season one i need i yeah. maybe go back into season two because i like the means that make puzzles, make you try to figure out the puzzle and yep. I, I love that i like trying to solve and figure out what's going to happen in the next couple episodes those mind-bending things that like would take you 50 different curves and you didn't see anything coming like i tell you what I, I don't know if anybody's ever watched westworld but season one there was one thing, one line, one line, I think in episode seven or eight, mm-hmm. where I was kind of like, you got to be kidding me. Like, and all the line was, was doesn't seem like anything to me. And I remember uh, being like, holy God, are you got to be kidding me? That yep. just happened. Like, yep. I, 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 I can't believe that. that. The That's the kind of twist. stuff I love. Like, they left a bread tr- uh, 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 trail leading into that twist. But when that finally twist culminated, Oh man, that was such a good twist. If you Dude, haven't seen it, that's a, that was one of the best uh, twists Westworld has ever done. I had knew the twist was coming with the man in black. You knew there was a twist there. I just couldn't put it together until right before it happened. And then yep. when 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 that and I think it happened in the same episode when when he said it doesn't seem like anything to me. I almost fell out of my chair. Like I was like, wait a minute, you're telling me the whole th- the whole the whole time. I was like yep. Sally Field and Mrs. Dalfire the whole time, the whole, the whole, the whole time. Like, I, I couldn't, I could not believe that twist. But that's the kind of stuff that I get into. And like Homeland wasn't doing that for me. I couldn't get anything out of Homeland. Yeah. I was kind of like, eh, well, you know, it, it just wasn't doing it for me. Yeah, I get it. Um, well, what about you? A, what are you watching? Uh, what am I watching? Well, I just start, there's a show on Netflix it, it, that just popped up. It was originally on um, Paramount, which was Spike TV. Okay. Uh, I, I think at the time or around that time, it's called Waco. So it's it's a oh, it's a okay. fiction it's a dramatization of what happened at Waco, Texas. Obviously, oh. the tragedy in 90, 94, 95? I ninety four, ninety five, maybe ninety three. Yeah. Um, if you ever watched the show, and this was a a friend of mine revealed this to me, and I had a moment where I was like, "Oh, I knew it was that guy." If you watch the show. Friday Night Lights, the television show, not the movie, the television show, the actor that played Tim Riggins plays uh, David Duresh or whatever his name is. Duresh yeah. Uh, yeah. is the main guy at the Waco compound. Um, so it's a very it's only five episodes, a little less than an hour. Okay. It's easy to get through. It's very good. And I started watching season three, finally, of Westworld because I just wanted to wait because I wasn't that hot on season two. Uh, so I wanted to wait a little bit. So uh, I'm starting Westworld, and that's it's it's pretty. I think the writers finally realized like we went crazy in the season two stuff with uh, the plot lines and the timelines and the time the time lapses and stuff like that. So I think they've scaled that back, and I'm glad to see uh, in the, these first two episodes it's pretty straightforward. So Westworld and Waco are my suggestions for this week. Doesn't look like anything to me. Yes. <laughs> but what is does look like something to you is what we're running. You can always vote because we're leaving our final eight to yes. you guys, yes. our listeners of the Curb versus Seinfeld bracket. Uh, I'm looking at the polls now. The polls that are running right now are the Carpool Lane versus the Costanza Doll episode uh, matchup. <sighs> it is 
50-50 right oh, now at the time of this God. recording. I you think this be- is I, – I, the more I think about it, I think I lean towards one way, uh, and I will reveal that when we get our final results. Uh, we'll do that next week. The other matchup that's running uh, right now, and we'll put our other two matchups up on the board on our Facebook page. Just search Orange and Backcheck on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll get all be able to like us and follow us on there. Our matchup that we're also running right now is the the doll episode of Curb versus the Palestine Chicken episode of Curb. So it's a Curb versus Curb matchup. I think it's the first one we've had in this bracket. Um, this is one of the toughest matchups we've seen. And early results are in of 67-33 Palestine Chicken. Get out of here. Yeah. So People are nuts. I, I, that, I, I don't think they're nuts, but that's definitely more – that's a one shocker way. right there. That's, that's, that's a, more one that's way a, than I anticipated. That's a that's a first half upset so far. Yeah. You know, we need a little rebound in there in the second half. But so I, we'll, you know, I'm I'm not impressed with anybody. It's up to the listeners. So we're gonna reveal those all those results. Like I said, just keep an eye out on our Facebook page at Orange and Backcheck Podcast. You'll be able to find it all right there. Like us, follow us. You'll get up to date news, episodes, all of that good stuff. This poll we're running, you'll be able to get that. Um, we are taking a break next week. We're not going to be running. Uh, we're not going to have a new episode Sunday night of, as we usually do, uh, for my own personal reasons, which I reveal, I will reveal hopefully on Monday or Tuesday. We'll try and record then, uh, depending on how my weekend shapes up because, um, yeah, uh, it's going to be a little different in my household. That's for sure. So that's all I will say about that. Well, uh, so, give it away already. Uh, I, hey, they might be thinking one thing. I'm I'm thinking another. Who knows? Cats so out again, of the bag. Cats <laughs> out of the bag. <laughs> so we'll have our next matchups. Our next matchups that I'll put on our Facebook page are the Face Painter versus the Invitations. It's a Seinfeld matchup. And Festivus versus the Hamptons, another uh, Seinfeld matchup. So at least the one half of the finals – is going to be a Seinfeld episode. We're guaranteed a Seinfeld episode. It's going to be Face Painter, Invitations, Festivus, or Hamptons. Uh, the Hamptons episode uh, all have memorable moments. Face Painter, we're a little biased here, so we're going to leave it to you. I think uh, if we had the choice, Face Painter's in the final right now. Got to support the team. <laughs> yeah, you can. Jerry, I have a ticket, but uh, you got to. Uh, you got to. There's one rule you have to do, and he's just painted <laughs> such a good episode oh what a great episode yeah, it's, it's fantastic david putty makes that episode it's all david putty man it's all, all i completely agree that <laughs> he's one of the I, I don't think he's ever at least in something that i've watched i don't think he's ever been a like a major role he's just kind of been like that side character that ties it all together that's, that's, how that's, I that's all you him. need some guys yeah. some guys aren't lead guys like look at like yeah norm mcdonald and dirty work he's hysterical but he's not a lead guy like yep you know you, you need like norm mcdonald's probably the funniest in, in deuce bigelow when he's the bartender in that one yeah. scene <laughs> they don't give me 12 hours i'm gonna take this straw and i'm gonna you know that, that's hilarious some guys aren't like that, but that's okay. That's okay. Yep. It's okay. So keep an eye out. We'll post those polls all this week. Like I said, uh, we'll have a new episode either Monday night or Tuesday night of next week, depending on my schedule. Um, in the meantime, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. Um, God, I'm, I have Star Wars The Phantom Menace on my t- t- TV right now on mute. What a terrible movie. This had so much potential, Scott. I think it was a little bit too early. 
I really did. Yeah. George Lucas actually held out on that because he wanted to have special effects be able to do what he wanted to do. And they still were terrible. It, I think it was too early. That's what I'm saying. It was 1999 yeah. when that came out. I just think it was too early computer wise. You probably needed to wait till about like another five, six years till the things got good. Yeah. I, well, like, I, I, like I said, I've been watching the, the Clone Wars episode uh, te- television show, which are, is fantastic. And the guy that runs it is a guy who has immersed himself. He's been in like the side uh, work of Star Wars for a number of years, including Clone Wars. He did some stuff with the Mandalorian. Uh, his name is Dave Filoni. I would give him the keys to the car right now and say, remake the prequel trilogy and do what you want with it. And I would have full trust of this. I, uh, like he's so good. I just think it's too early to make a uh, sequel trilogy. Here's the problem. Or another here, trilogy. Here, here's the only issue. Here's the only issue. Let's be real here. And this could go on for any Star Wars person. Because eventually, what's going to wind up happening is if you want people to recreate or create recreate the prequels, then there are going to be people out there yeah. who are going to want to recreate seven, eight, nine. Just leave it alone. Oh, that's yeah, true. Just yeah, leave it alone. I agree with that. Just leave it alone. Just let them be Except what they are. Let's be critical. Let yeah, I mean, like the first Phantom Menace, whatever. Clone Wars, whatever. I mean, it was cool to see Anakin turn into Darth Vader, but that's like thirty seconds at the end of the film. You didn't need the whole damn love story throughout the whole thing. That's yeah. probably the only thing that that drove me nuts about it. I but agree. Other than that, listen, they're just movies. They're legendary. If you really want to know, you start from six, you go to nine. There you go. Yeah, and then you, you go on with the rest of your life. Well, Bingo. <laughs> that's going to do it for the, this episode of Orange and Backcheck. We appreciate you listening. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Email orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. I'm Bill Kornfeld for Scott Weinhardt. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks or a couple Daily. days. Daily. Do the draft in November.